good morning, good morning. I am so happy to be back with y'all. I got to see some of your faces through uh, Easter, and y'all celebrate Easter pretty well. I was excited for that, and I am thrilled to be back here with you as we continue our sermon series called Greater. And as we do that, to get us started, I want to tease you with a little something right off the bat. Hannah Grace was somebody I met when she was 10 years old. And Hannah and her mom Robin and her brother Shane were, were this family that came to the church that I served when I was in college, when I was at Baylor. And I met Hannah pretty early on. Again, she was 10 years old, and she was one of those people just so enthusiastic, smarter than most freshmen. I was a freshman in college when I met her, and was so curious, and just there wasn't a place she didn't feel like she didn't belong. So she's trying to be part of every, everybody and everything, and it, they were an odd family because the church that I served were mainly college kids, not a lot of different generations, not a lot of young families, and yet you know, they were all in and they were a refreshing family in our community. And they had just gotten over this tragic loss of Robin's husband, Hannah and Shane's father. So they came to us grieving. And I remember sitting before service one day with Hannah, we were just sitting on the bench in the uh, hallway after Sunday school before service started, just chatting and she's looking at all these people and she starts to talk to me how, how she loves to people watch. She's primo at people watching loves to people watch. And she said she, you know, it's more than just individuals. She likes to see like how groups of people interact with other groups of people. And she talked about school and some of the classes that she liked. And, and she always thought it was interesting how certain people, groups, and cultures develop and how they engage and assimilate with others or, or how they don't and all of that. And so I threw a big word at her, for, which for a 10-year-old may have been a bit much, but she could, she, I thought she could handle it. And I was like, well, you should, you know anything about anthropology, She's like, what is that? It's like, you should, look, you should just look that up. You should, you should check it out. I think it has a lot to do with what you're talking about with what you might be interested in. And so that was the last time we talked about that subject. And, you know, as time goes by, as seasons of life change and time separates us from people that have influenced us or we influence, um, you know, time, time went on. In seasons changed, I ended up graduating Baylor and lost touch of a lot of people at UBC that I, was, that I had a close relationship with. And I brought up the word influence because that's what we're talking about this morning. As we talked last week about a greater life, and in this sermon series, Greater, it's inspired by John chapter 14, verse 12, which says, Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And so I know... Amanda blessed you last week and talked about how in our life we can be so narrowly focused. She used that telescope illustration and how in order for us to move from good to greater and see see God at work in our lives and experience a greater life, we have to see and step back from our narrow focus and see all of what God has been up to in the past, in the present, and even anticipate what he's doing in the future. And in the sanctuary, I kicked off the series for us by telling a story about the Gibeonites. And I love this story so much that I have to do a quick recap for us. Because I, somehow, I don't know why, how did I miss this, this story in Scripture? But Joshua, real early on in his conquest of Israel, God has promised Israel the land. 
And Joshua only has two early victories. He's, he's beaten Jericho and I and doesn't have a lot of momentum. He has the whole country left to, to work through in this expedition. And all the other nations, all the other cities, all the other countries, this is before superpowers. It's all just a bunch of kingdoms. They all come together and say, we've got to stop this momentum. We've got to stop them now. And our numbers are a lot bigger than their numbers. And so they come together and they form this super alliance. All the other kingdoms, all the other kingdoms except one kingdom, the kingdom of Gibeon. And the Gibeonites roll up to Joshua and they come to Joshua and the nation of Israel and they, they, they put on a show. They come with like tattered clothes and, and worn out shoes and spoiled food. And they, they come to them and they, they pretend like they're from a country far, 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 far away. Even though we know in reading the story, they're just from just a few miles down the road. And they show up and they, they say, we are your servants, Joshua and Israel. We are your servants. So Joshua makes a peace treaty with them that's ratified before, before everyone. And then three days later, they find out the truth. Joshua finds out, Israel finds out, all the leaders find out who they really are. That their people, a royal city who have really good fighters right down the road just a few miles from camp. So so now all of a sudden, the Israelites are like wanting Joshua and the leadership to go back on their word. Like, what is, this, what is this city doing? They have all the incentive in the world to join this alliance, to join these numbers, and yet they haven't done that, and yet we know their reputation as fighters, so are they coming to infiltrate our ranks and, and thwart our mission that God has put us on? What are they doing? And the Israelites want them to go back on their word, but Joshua will not let them go back on their word. And there's got to be a reckoning, though. There's got to be an answer. Why? Why are you doing this? Why? And they say, because of the fame of the Lord your God. Because of the fame of the Lord your God. We've heard about your God. We know what he did in Egypt. We know the promise he's given you to take this land, to be Israel. And of all the other, of of in the midst of all the plans that they have and their families and their future, they trust in the God of Israel. And we see this foretaste, this foretaste all the way back in Joshua of this Gentile inclusion into the family of God. And so they welcome, they welcome them, but Joshua says, you're going to be woodcutters and water carriers. And so we talked last week as we, as we talked about a greater life and what that looks like. We're reminded of the sacrifice and the way in which as we follow Christ, as we live as Easter people, there's some sin that clings close to us. There's hard feelings that envelop our lives. There's bad relationships that we hang on to, that we drag through life that we need to let go of. And as Easter people, we have to ask God to take it away. We have to ask God to give us freedom from it. And yet we're also water carriers and woodcutters, that there's some burdens and some griefs in life that we're not exempt from as Easter people, this side of heaven. And so part of what it means to trust Jesus, part of what it means to move from a good life to a greater life is to trust him with the weight of the burdens that we carry. So that a greater life is a lighter load, a greater life is a lighter life. And that Jesus is the only one who can carry the weight with us and for us. So we talked about a greater life. 
This week, we're talking about greater influence. And I realized, as, as many of you may laugh at this, I realized my age a little bit in thinking about influence and what it means to be a greater influence because the streams of influence have changed since I was in middle school and high school. Um, anybody ride the bus? The bus. I rode the bus. Man, a lot of influence on the bus. A lot of influence on the bus. Um, I, I had more of the traditional influences, right? Family, community, parents, peers. That was, that was my influence. Um, the internet has grown by galaxies and solar systems since my dial-up connection in the middle of high school. Like the internet, the social media streams, the everything. Like I, I can't even pretend to speak to most of it because it's just silliness. I, there's so much. There's so much. And there's this temptation to see all of it, all this influence from so many different streams and avenues and just be cynical and, and it isn't influence. It's, it's just influenza. It's a virus, right? We, we get disturbed by it all. We can react and be defeated and surrender and lay down our arms and, and, and be intimidated and not know what to do. But for us, as we think about greater influence, this is a battle and this is a fight that we cannot give up. We have to fight to be a greater influence than Facebook and Instagram. Like we all have to be personal and fight to be a greater influence than the bus. We, we got to fight to be a greater influence. This, this is something we cannot afford to take lightly. And so as we think about what it means to be a greater influence, we're going to explore four avenues. And this is a little more prescriptive and direct than I like to be, but I just felt appropriate this week. So if you don't like lists, I apologize. I'll have something for you at the end. So um, but, but there's four avenues we're going to explore, four avenues of influence. But I want us to think about two things bef before we get to that, that, that influence is a byproduct of trust. Influence is a byproduct of trust. And that, you know, if I don't trust you, you don't trust me, we're not really going to have much of an effect on each other. <laughs> and, and trust is a byproduct of consistency. We've got to see each other stand up and be true to the character and the values that we say we uphold. We can't be wishy-washy and, and hypocrites that say this and do that, or at least if we do, we have to be honest <laughs> that it, that's what we're doing. And so that, I think that's important for us to keep in mind as, we're, as we talk about and explore being a greater influence. So the first avenue of influence is, of course, time. Time or presence is an avenue of influence. And in John chapter 20, verse 18, we read, Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. She told them that he had said these things to her. So Mary just witnesses and, and gets, gets a lot of special privileges and a lot of special blessings here. She's one of the only ones, if not the first one, to see the bodily resurrection of Jesus. And she sees him because she's attending upon the tomb. 
She's not only the first to see the bodily resurrection of Jesus, she's one of the first to hear the good news. And in the midst of the good times and the bad times, when it comes to Jesus's life and Jesus's ministry, most of those closest to him leave, especially in the time when he needed them most. But Mary doesn't leave. Mary stays put. So why does Mary get all these privileges? Why is she the first? She might even be the first one to deliver an Easter sermon as she tells the disciples about the news, about what Jesus has told her to tell them. And we're going to have two, two uh, word imperatives with every little avenue for us as a positive means by which we can be a greater influence. And, and the first one of these imperatives for us that Mary shows us, that Mary lives out, is she shows up. She always shows up. She's always there and she shows up even in the worst of times. Even when it's really, really hard, she shows up. And time is too short. And sometimes we don't show up because of work. And I struggle with this. I've struggled with this in my life. The mythical, mysterious work-life balance that I'm convinced that very few of us have figured out, even though there's a lot of books written about it, that that mythical work-life balance, that imaginary work-life balance. We were made to work, but work can rob our days and make us feel like we're nothing unless we're productive. And that is, that is a lie. We were made to work. We were made to work. But we are more than our capacity to work. We're more, much more than our production One of the great avenues of influence for us is showing up, is showing up for our loved ones, showing up for those who need support. And think about as we go through these avenues of influence, who is that for you? Like who's been that person? Who are those people that have constantly shown up in your life? And who are the people you need to show up for? And sometimes we take the people closest to us for granted. And I just have to confess that, man, nobody shows up for me more than Lindsay Kay, <laughs> right? All, throughout all the times of transition, throughout everything. And, and she shows up for her family. She's not Aunt Lindsay because she has a brother and sister who have kids. She's Aunt Lindsay because she shows up and loves on her nieces and nephews and, and plays with them. And when it comes to baptisms, and when it comes to the charity walks and all the things, she shows up. Who are some of those people in your life that have always shown up for you? A second avenue of influence is our words. What we say to each other matters. And we live in a culture where there's a lot of meaningless talk. We say a lot of things and we're uncomfortable with silence and we feel like we have to fill the void and our words are an unlimited renewable resource. And so we just talk and and we we talk in circles about all kinds of things, about faith, about politics, about things we may not know much about, but we, we talk and it isn't always constructive. We say a lot of things and it's impossible for us to know how many people the apostle Paul influenced, but he has some words for one of the people in his life that he tried to directly influence. One of his students who he would call a, one, a son of the faith, which is Timothy. And he says this in Timothy chapter one, he says, as I urged you, Timothy, when I went into Macedonia, 
Stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these and have turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about (laughs) or what they so confidently affirm. So as we use our words to teach and influence Paul, Paul is warning us to engage, to not engage in this unnecessary, unnecessary speculation and conjecture. To, to not speak in a way that tears down and is divisive and just causes controversy that's just meaningless and, and circular, but to advance God's, God's work, advance God's work and speak directly to things. The truth of the gospel isn't complex. It isn't impenetrable. And yet Paul's looking around and seeing all these people that are, that are saying, you know, the Gentile Christians got to do this. And there's all this meaningless talk and speculation with all these genealogies. And it isn't building up the body of Christ. Our words, Paul says, should spring forth from a pure heart, a good conscience, a sincere faith. In other words, we should speak life as God speaks life. Over all creation, at the beginning of everything, God speaks in life, then there's life. We're reminded that in the beginning was the word, that speech matters, our words matter. And sometimes the most powerful thing we can say is nothing, is silence. If, we're, if we think about words as being maybe a limited resource, and we think about Jesus' actions in the most significant time of his life when he suffered the most, what did he say? He didn't prop himself up to defend himself. He said very little. He said Nothing. My dad's always been, many of us probably have family members we think of or friends. Man, my dad is just, has, has been such a good influence in my life and my brother's life, texting us. He's always texting us or, or on a phone call, just like this, this is a new day. Just always reminding us. And sometimes, you know, you've heard it over and over again. It gets a little old. But, but the more I get older, the more I need this reminder that every day, every single day is a gift. And to have have the kind of vitality and the positive attitude and to to seize every day and every moment that's precious. And he's been someone in my life that's always spoken life over me. Even now, I'm 33, he's still doing it every single day. And I have to confess, I'm not as always good about influencing others with that kind of consistency. A third avenue for us, of course, is our actions. So we've got time, time or presence, our words, our actions, faith without works is dead, James says. And often when we don't speak the same language as somebody else does, or we speak the same language, but man, our perspective of reality, our views, our values are completely different. Actions speak louder than words. And Paul reminds us in Ephesians how to how to live right. When we think about our actions and how to live right, Paul, 
Paul says this, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So to live right is to live as one. That we're not meant to create conflict and create division, but to build unity, to make every effort, not just to keep the peace, but the bond, the bond of peace. Bearing with one or and being patient with one another and and being attentive listeners. And this isn't a bunch of busyness. It doesn't require a a bunch of tasks, but it involves intentional and graceful work for us to actually be one and live as one is hard work. But you know, God isn't divided amongst himself. The community of persons that are part of God's identity. God is one. And we are called to be one as a body, the church. And we'll be reminded of that again as we celebrate Holy Communion together. That a house divided cannot stand A house divided cannot stand. So our last avenue, our last avenue of influence is growth. So we've got time, words, action, and then growth. It's important for people in our lives to see that we are not where we were. We're not where we should be yet, but we're moving. We're moving. And and Paul sums this up again for us in Philippians. And, And I don't think, I don't think, any of us can say it better than this. Paul says, not that I've already obtained all this, not that I've arrived, not that I've already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, Uh, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Straining, Paul says. I love that word, straining toward what is ahead by continuing to grow closer and closer to, to Christ and live by the fruits of the Spirit by love, by joy, by peace, by patience, by kindness, by goodness, by faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. As we grow closer and we live according to the fruits of the Spirit, we are moving forward to claim and grasp that life that Jesus came to give us. And so we might think of the last imperative for growth as be light. As we grow closer, as we continue to journey, as we continue to strain forward, to be light at all times and in every place. So, you know, time passes and sometimes we lose touch with folks. Seasons change, life changes, we move on. We kind of wish there's just people, you know, that influenced this. I, I, I can think of people in my, in my mind, in my life, people that influenced me, that I've lost touch with, that I remember fondly, but, you know, it's, it's life and 
we're busy and distracted by a lot of things. And uh, many of you know my story now. I've shared my story with you. As I went through college and, and we, we suffered through the loss of our pastor, I went to seminary from there and, and I shared with you a few weeks ago that there was a time that I stepped away. I needed to step away from full-time ministry. And that first year, about three years ago, about three years ago, I got this Facebook message from Hannah, from Hannah. I hadn't talked to Hannah in eight years. I had to do the math. I'm like, I graduated in 08, it's 2016. So yeah, eight years. And uh, she, she messaged me just saying, hey, I'd like to interview you and 29 other people for this senior thesis I'm working on. So like, okay, that's, that's cool. I mean, she was still in Waco, hadn't quite graduated uh, or she was home, excuse me, she was home from college. She still lived, her mom lived in Waco still. She's home from college. It's her senior thesis now in college. So, so she's grown up and about to graduate with her undergraduate degree from like, I think it's William at Washington and Lee University, somewhere out east. I think it's in Virginia. I'm not really sure. But she's like, I want to interview you. And so we figured out where, where to meet and we decided to meet at Fred's and Fort Worth, got to love a good burger at Fred's. And so we sat, we talked for hours catching up on life. And she's asking me all these questions about, about our time at UBC, because what she was doing is this thesis on cultural anthropology and the, the communal nature of grief that arose out of our community. That's what her senior thesis was on. Like I can, you couldn't, I could, if you asked me to repeat those words together and put that sequence together, I probably couldn't. I don't know what half those words mean, but, but that was what her senior thesis was on. And so, so the conversation was a lot of reminiscing and remembering uh, of that time and the way in which we came together as a community. And she, she said to me, she's like, you know, you remember that time we were sitting outside church before we went into service? It's like, yeah. It's like, I was telling you I like the people watch. It's like, yeah. And you, you told me that, you know, anthropology was, was what I should go look up. And I was like, yeah. She says, well, I did. <laughs> and uh, ever since that day, I knew, what it, I knew what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And I, I don't share that with you because there's some, some pride in me about, about what I did. But in that moment, I mean, it was hard. It was hard to hold it together a little bit because... Like, I was just so proud of her and her story and the way that every step of the way as she grew up with all that she had to deal with, like, she was grateful to every single person in her life for their contribution to get her where she was and the influence of all the people in her life. And here I am. I mean, this is kind of fresh for me. I'm, 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 in, a, I'm in a season of my life where I'm not sure-footed, where I have more questions than I have answered. And I was just hit by the grace of God in that, y'all, you just never know. You never know when God's going to use your influence to help someone else understand the whole purpose of their life. Like, like I was, I didn't know, like I'm just sitting, you know, I, I had no idea. So it's not a matter of if you are an influence, you are an influence. We're connected to so many people in our lives, our family, our friends, our, we're, it's not a matter of if you're an influence, you are an influence. 
What kind of influence are you going to be? And you never know when God's going to show up and use your influence to change the course of someone's life. As simple as just suggesting something. As simple as listening. So, Let's strain forward together, as Paul says, and strive to be a greater influence. Let's show up, let's speak life, let's live right, and let's be light for the grace and glory of Almighty God. Let's strain forward. Will you pray with me? Holy God, I thank you for this beautiful family, for this body that you have called together God, for all the times that we take your gifts for granted, the people in our life, the influence in our life, all the repetitive things that sometimes just annoy us, God, help us hear them and be grateful for all those people in our lives who have influenced us, who have helped us get here, who help us keep stepping forward and not giving up. God, we praise you for for their influence. And Lord, for those people who are the closest to us in our lives and friends and family extending outward, God, help us always be attentive to the people that you have called us to influence. And may our influence grow so that people see in us your glory, people see in us your truth and your beautiful promises that are for us, that are for our well-being that are for our good. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.